Ew, Pussy Riot. Ugh. That famous you- YouTuber, Yuri Dude, who like did... Uh, he interviewed one of them? He, who do you think he interviewed? One of them? The one. The, the man or the hot one? The hot one, the hot one. The man is not real, Pussy Riot. Well, he's certainly suckling off the brand. <laughs> oh my God, all right. I'll watch this. Never, perhaps. <laughs> um, uh, she's introducing herself as a conceptual artist. All right, and a hot person. Don't forget that. It's part of your job. Yeah. Yeah, it's confusing that she... Will, I guess that's why she stopped wearing the balaclava. The balaclava. She's supposed to wear that for forming. Anyone can become a Pussy Riot member. Um, okay, wait, this is like... No, well, not the, anymore. Not after you start getting money. This is the, this is from a document. Why would I cover my face when it's so hot? This shit feel like I won't ever make it home. Traffic's backed up, I got to get off of this road. Flipped on the gas, I swear to God, I'm in my zone. Foot on the gas, I can't stop, I got to pay toll. Okay, let, let's intro this sucker. Let's get this sucker introed. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> From St. Petersburg and Brooklyn. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. Today we have a, a cool topic, I think. It's the divorce. Divorce. Does anybody know what a divorce is? You want to know what a divorce is? Yeah. I'll tell you what a divorce is, bitch. <laughs> it is... Well, there's, okay, so I'm going to get into the etymology a little bit, but the general definition of a dwar. Oh my God, just say the goddamn word. It doesn't need to be a definition. No, I'm just saying the general, what do you mean? What does definition mean to you? It's a courtyard. All right, let's move no, on. No, it's not. You want to get the etymology? That's how it's translated though. And that's how it's talked about. Stop being a fucking wet blanket. I'm the one defining it. The definition mm-hmm. of a dwar is a piece of land next to a building part of a building like a yard and in a city setting it's a courtyard with buildings around it and that's what what it, the the dwarves in petersburg are like but that's the more general meaning um etymology it's actually like it does share a root with the word for door which is dver with an e yeah with an er and then a soft sign and it's, I mean, it really has, like, a very ancient sound. It's, it has a proto-Slavic root. This, like, DV. Dv. The proto-Slavic word dvor basically means that almost all Slavic languages have a word for courtyard that sounds like dvor. There's actually, like, an Indo-European root as well that is this word in, in ancient Indian <laughs> language. And the word is dvaram, and it means gate. Sanskrit? Oh, maybe it's maybe that is Sanskrit. Okay, ancient Indian language would be Sanskrit, wouldn't it? If I was forced to guess, yeah, maybe not though. But dwaram is gate, so we have gate, door, and then like this space, but then the space around a building, which sort of I guess you can just associate like with like thing that connects inside and outside. The other definitions for dvor in Russian. Are, that is also the word used to describe the royal court. It's called like the royal dvor, meaning people, right, around like a royal figure. And then the word dvarianstva, which you can hear sounds like dvor in the beginning. The first word is dvor, dvarianstva, is the word for nobility. 
gentry nobility mm. so again like people really rubbing shoulders with the ruler between the inside of the king and the outside of the king <laughs> all right just drop the inside out thing the inside out thing works for the spatial definition i think and i hope you'll get into that yes the saint petersburg divorce which we're going to be mostly focusing on for the most part right? i think so um so lily tell the good people how many of these divorces are in saint petersburg the sum number of divorces in saint petersburg is sixteen thousand four hundred and sixty two. yes so i mean you mentioned this before like what it is in the city but just in case the the image isn't fully painted the general way that a divorce exists in saint petersburg is that there's like a large apartment building and there's like the front of the apartment building as you would normally have in other cities but then it also tends to extend on both sides and then also across the back like a square so it's like a a ring of apartment basically and then in the center is a courtyard yeah a hollow square yeah a hollow square but the other thing Um, is the apartments generally in St. Petersburg unless you're on the outskirts are not taller than five six stories i mean they can be like nine stories but that's really tall yeah no they're not they're not like skyscrapers by any means they're they're just like a little bit bigger than a brownstone basically so it's not like this like scary pit no it's pretty and it's pastel and it's yeah it's not a scary pit although i guess you could argue that the well courtyards are scary pits so yeah i mean there's there's the divorce has existed in russian architecture since the dawn of time but we're going to be talking about like the three main periods which is like pre-revolution post-revolution and then like late soviet and like a little bit about now for new things that are built um so so when they were first pre-revolution i guess like i guess in the like 1800s when they were building up stuff in um, petersburg in Petersburg, yeah. The, also known the as model Petersburg at the time. Yep. Okay. <laughs> the the, mo- <laughs> the model for like how things were architected was like a one full block would be maybe like a solid block of an apartment building. Like the front, the facade would be like one um, extended facade. It could be where they're all connected. Um, and then I guess you would have like the equivalent in the back and like around the sides and in between, et cetera, if you can picture kind of that jumbled mess. And so what arose were these things called well divorces, which are like smaller courtyards where the buildings are close enough together that if you're standing at the bottom and you look up, you kind of get this well effect, right, Lily? Yeah, that's that's what people say. But I don't think that I would like call it a well if I was just in one. I'd be like a narrow tunnel. I don't know. But yeah, the idea of looking up from the bottom of a well. Yeah. But, but you get you get the sense it's small. And, and during this time, like the courtyards were just full of stuff like they had sheds built up and for wood um, with. Yeah, with and there'd be wood everywhere. And maybe that's where you would take your trash out and there'd be multiple courtyards within like a building block. This like chunk of buildings that is like one apartment block i guess kind of um and and the devour was like a designated area for maintenance um chopping wood those sorts of things it's not like a place you would hang out and be like i'm getting some fresh air and it's where the dvornik would live so will, will you explain what the dvornik is sure uh okay. a dvornik is a person who takes care of the dvor and lives there often there's like a sort of separate little building uh inside the door that's 
like or a, a apartment on the ground floor where the Dvornik would live and it's usually a man and <laughs> the problem with that name for non-russian speakers who like like in my in my head when i pictured the Dvornik, who do you think i picture uh wait what does Dvornik sound like um gopnik no it's a singular man that like chops wood in a little building like who else could that be santa no <laughs> Wait, Santa Claus? Is it Santa Claus? A lumberjack? <laughs> a lumberjack? The, no, the bonnick. Oh, the bonnick. But that's so like I'm definitely so you are a Russian this, like, speaker. Small gremliny creature, but this is an actual human man. Bonnick is from our Bonnie episode, so yeah, can we'll learn who that little guy is. But this is yeah. a human, yeah, not not like a spirit man, but a real human man. And the thing it is that work. like the dvornik is. Uh, and someone who's in charge of keeping the drawer in order, but also the entire building. It's like a superintendent um, and mm-hmm. knows everything about what's happening in that building. So what he's especially in charge of is the doors that open onto the drawer. Those entrances that go into the apartment building, the ones that open onto the drawer, are like totally under his jurisdiction. And I mean, there's a lot of stories. I don't know, like people talk about how the Dvornik, at least in the, like in the Soviet era, kids remember the Dvornik kind of like being this other parent figure. They know everyone in the courtyard. And so if there's someone like, for example, your friends coming over, you need to let them know so that they know to let that person in. Yeah. And, and during this time pre-revolution, uh, you know, late 1800s and such, the, the divorce, despite not being a place where people would hang out, were frequented by like traders and buskers and junk dealers and, and like junk dealers. anybody who's like market was the residence of these courtyards. Um, and then and then you get another interesting distinction starting in this time that persists, you know, maybe even as late as like the 1950s or 1960s, which is the like conception of the courtyard children. So the types of children that were hanging out in the courtyard were those of like lower class working people, the children of servants, workers, artisans, um, and the nursery children who were like the upper class children weren't allowed to go play out in the courtyard, but Oftentimes, the nursery would be located on the bottom floor of the building. And so the better off children were allowed to look through the window out onto the door, but were not allowed to play in it. Um, right. and, and then during the turn of the 20th century, you start to see a, a little bit of shift away from this. A new type of like housing starts to be billi- being built aimed at attracting wealthier people. And they had more elegant front courtyards. So this is an important distinction in a lot of buildings, building blocks, not always, but I don't know, we went to one, like Benita's has this. Um, The courtyard will be designed in such a way where there's like a front courtyard, and then there might be like some buildings that go more together, and there's like a little tunnel, and then it comes out into a back courtyard. And the front courtyard might be like manicured with gardens and benches and swings for children to play on, and then the back courtyard is where like all the disgusting stuff is, you know, like the trash and the logs and all the maintenance stuff is back there. And so with the building of this new type of housing um, and the uh like migration of i guess like wealthier people into these types of housing you actually have this like little courtyard area that becomes a central place that that children might play even if they're wealthy they don't have to just pine out the window but when you said nursery you mean like that must mean a preschool which is probable but like because if so if everyone there's some kind of like communal nursery situation 
Yeah, I, gu- I guess so. I didn't actually really think about that. I just read it and I was like, oh, that well, that makes sense. Or but maybe, yeah, maybe some sort maybe, of, or it's yeah. like a daycare in the building kind of thing. I mean, one thing also to keep in mind is that pre-revolution, it's often the case that a wealthy family owns the entire house. Like where Nabokov's museum is um, in Petersburg, it's now like this tiny, it's a tiny section of his former family's house it's like a few rooms okay. but they owned the whole building they that was their house it was like the whole okay. block but those those are like really wealthy people yeah right? i mean that's i mean well the, the aristocracy so like they would they're not like living in apartments they're living in a building that is their like city house and in that case they would be able to divide things up by floor you know like the nursery floor whatever the fuck yeah yeah and then the other thing to mention is like also the in these like newer types of buildings where i think the people the like wealthy people i'm talking about aren't aristocracy they're more like upper middle class if we if we're willing to describe russians as upper middle class so so they might have apartments that look out like onto the street where they'll get more light and then uh the less wealthy people might live you know lower down with windows that only face the door so they're getting less light yeah, and there's also, like, different, lots of, I mean, back when people had servants and stuff, there's, like, servants' entrances, or, like, you'll come, I'll, I, as often happens, where, like, I'll live in an apartment like I live in now, and, like, I lived in before, um, on a different street, where, like, I'm going to look at the apartment the first time, like, oh, yeah, this was a servant's stairway, and you can tell that, <laughs> like, the stairway that I go up and down every day is a servant's stairway because it's narrow and sh- broken, <laughs> Right. I mean, and your like dirty servant child would like play out in the trash pit coming down that set of stairs. So that set of stairs, if the building was built pre-revolution, pre-revolution, yeah, then a set of stairs like that means that that was never being used by or probably not being used by like the family. All right. Do you want to talk about after the revolution or do you want to talk about something else first? We could talk about after the revolution. I have some Soviet doors are like, I feel like what it's referenced in popular imagination, it seems like now because like current nostalgia is from people who are old and people who are old are were alive during the soviet era we're not even that old but you know what i mean like that's interesting that you say that because um i i don't know if did you read the article the baltic pearl one no okay so one of the things she talks about that and we can talk about this later because there's some contemporary stuff in it but she's kind of analyzing the layout of divorce over time and like as i mentioned the pre-revolution one was you know, like the divorce is much smaller. It's this like well style and there's like a bunch of different things in it that are kind of like cramping it. Um, and then she talks about the like Stalinist divorce and how a lot of architects refer to it as having like, like it was like the golden era of the divorce. Like it had the perfect, it was like perfectly human scaled. Like the, the buildings were close enough together. Like the sides of the apartments were close enough together that it created like a sense of um, like this terracing, like you're talking about between the inside of somebody's home and the outside of the street. So you have like this safe zone, but it's big enough that you can like play soccer in it and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, so, I mean, I wonder if that's like a component of it. And she also talks about, um, I, I don't, I was curious if you bought this, but this particular author talks about the divorce as like both symbolic of and a manifestation of like anti-capitalism. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I could roll with that. I don't know. <laughs> the reason, the reason I say roll it with that idea punch. I could roll with that idea punch. Um, did you want to continue the thought? 
No, that's that's the. I mean, her. She didn't really make a a strong argument for it. I felt like generally she was just saying like, oh, at one point it was like, I don't know, be, it, because it was like the purview of of like uh, servants and artisans and stuff. It, it was like this capitalist zone. But then when the revolution happened, um, it turns into this like communal zone. Yeah, the reason it would be called anti-capitalist is especially in the early half of the Soviet era, but throughout the entire Soviet era, a lot of people are living in communal apartments, as we've talked about. And that means, like, these big apartments were... These big apartments that uh, maybe, like, one family lived in pre-revolution have been transformed to be multi-family apartments where each family gets a room. And sometimes you, like, get, like, the maybe the the apartment is cut in a weird way, you know, like a wall is put up or something. But like mm. in general, you're talking about one family has like one to two rooms that they live in and everybody shares the kitchen and, and the hall. And so like in that context of a communal apartment, you're like always, I think it bears repeating because we've talked about it now before, but it bears repeating. You're always, always, always around people. Okay, so if you're a kid, you can escape kind of to the door to go hang out with other kids. Right, because you can't, like... And there's probably, like, a lot of kids in the accumulated apartment also, but, like, your parents don't want you guys, like, running around and playing games, like, right. eight of you in the communal apartment. Right, so the kids are... You want to be out of... You want to be out of the house. Your parents want you out of the house. You know, when your parents are at work and you're at school, okay, no one's being bothered, but, like, you don't want them to interrupt your game when they come home from work, so it's better to just be in the door. Do you know when the wood was stopped? The wood was stopped in, like, the 40s and 50s. Okay, so kids who grew up when there was still wood remember, like, the boys would play basically this game they call war. A lot of times wood would be stacked in sheds, but sometimes it would be stacked in piles. So you have, like, this open space, and it's just, like, perfect for playing any war game because you can hide behind it. It's like a fort or a fortress. And so that was a big part of, like, the landscape for them. And these wars would be, like... It was on. It, they would be ongoing games between dvors. Oh, cool. Your dvor fights another dvor after school. There's a whole set of rules, so it's not like anyone's like getting really seriously injured because you know they're not using I don't know like metal or something. So you know you come home and you have a bruise or whatever, but it's not like it was just something that was kind of permitted because it wasn't exactly like you know gangs. It was it was like a game. It was clearly a game. And that's one of the ways that like groups of kids interacted because there was sort of an establishment and this gets back to the like communal thing, an establishment of like the people who I live in my door door with are my people and we are like, a com- we are a we, like it's like he's one of us. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, before the revolution, the, the divorce is like the territory of the Dvornik and like work and the like lower class children and then after the revolution you start to see it being used more communally and rather than dividing it between the front and back where like the wealthy people spend the time in the front manicured divorce you start getting the division of communal and working so the front would now be the communal area where you could play and you know sit and etc and the back would be the working divorce where the sheds still are and the wood is because you know all those th- things still need to happen even if um maybe like the paid Dvornik or the paid labor isn't isn't like a uh, what is that called manager no just like isn't a thing that exists essential 
Yeah, is an oh. essential part of the landscape at that point. Now it's like the communal work of the people who live the, there. Though the Dvornik still exists in the Soviet era. Okay. At least in the beginning. Okay. So is, one of the things is like young children are start to like let out into the courtyard because like young children that might be too little to walk to the park on their own can go play in the courtyard. And new neighborhoods that started being built in, the, I guess, the 1920s had fewer parks. So the divorce sort of supplemented this need for outdoor space. But you still kind of have the sense of the divorce as like a dirty place. Um, and some children still aren't allowed to play there, at least according to this one paper I read. So just to give you a number sense, in 19 1936, only about 23.3% of children spent leisure time in the courtyard. But the Leningrad administration at this point is really trying to start pushing for like higher quality courtyards. In the mid-1930s, they start requiring local housing boards to create areas where children could play, quote, creating for each house special locations where children can play games. Um, but re- kind of reports suggest that this doesn't start happening in earnest maybe until the 1940s and 50s. I think maybe in part because you start getting these slightly bigger, um, more open divorce built by Stalin. And also in the 60s, in the 40s and 50s, the um, wood starts going away because it's not needed anymore. Mm. So you kind of open up space. And then in the 60s, you actually start getting the demolishing of the sheds that had been used previously. And divorce at this point become like very decidedly the purview of children. But something I like, there's there's this kind of um, transition period between when like the wood and the working part of the divorce goes away and like the six before they get destroyed in the 60s. And then when they actually get destroyed, where the sheds become the territory of men just like using them as relaxing zones because as you mentioned like you know there's really yeah inside like they would some men would build like little beds in there there'd be a bench or like the older teenagers would like have sex in there um because yeah there's not any privacy in the communal apartment and so like the man of the house needs to go and like have his little nap in the shed oh i didn't know because the shed also has has a couple of other things like when the shed was still around um people this is there were definitely sheds still around i'm sure like through the 60s and stuff um because this person being interviewed wasn't that old i'm just thinking uh kids would kids would also use the shed would jump off the shed into a pile of snow or would like climb on oh, it you know nice. it's like part of their they, they it didn't bother them whether or not it was full of wood um the other thing is like in right because it creates it creates like I mean, all this stuff in a place like kids, I mean, I guess kids like big open spaces, but they also like crawling into little nooks and it's like magical and private. Yeah. And like one of the many games that was played in the door is hide and seek. And that was like probably way more fun when there were all these a bunch of stuff in there. Cool places. Yeah. Like when the other thing is cool is that dwarves are often connected to each other. So I don't know like what their rules were for hide and seek, but if it was like anything connected then you could sometimes you could get really far um yeah and uh that sounds that does sound like a kid's dream you just like have free reign of like the secret part of the city that's the thing like i mean yeah there's like sixteen thousand divorce in st petersburg we're talking like about how they're all connected but that uh, we talked about this when i was visiting you but that is a really cool thing that there's like a whole a very large percentage of the city that's like this hidden weird world yeah or that's not it's like 
if you look at it from above or something, you'd be like, oh, there's all that empty space being used. Like someone who's trying to, you know, make really compact housing might be like, what are these idiots doing or something? <laughs> but it's so clearly not empty. And for so many people, like is such an integral place. Now, I mean, I would say that like in my personal experience, I just really like, enjoy the dwar, but I don't spend time in it. But I feel like yeah. you, okay, so the things that I use a door for are going through it. And that's like really how a lot of doors are used, I think, right now because people like, well, yeah, when we talk about what people do with them now, we'll talk about that. But going through it and then also looking at it <laughs> from a window. Looking at it. And your trash is there. And my trash is there. But like look, looking at, and trash is, yeah, often there. Looking at it is, depending on the door, can be like, a really enjoyable activity peeping tom on the neighbors and there was you one mean the you being peeped what i mean you're now you're the pp now i'm the pp but i i put, you put curtains up so i wouldn't be peeped so badly <laughs> yeah lily's devore neighbor peeped her and then accused her of running a hostel <laughs> wait actually yeah that's fucked up that is fucked up. But this is so, this is so like fucking, this is the bad side of communal living is when people feel that they have the right to like report on you. So yeah, that is, that is a real snitch move. Shall we talk about like the domains of the divorce, like who it belongs to? Sure. Yeah. So there's kind of two axes we're working with here. You got male and female. And we'll go into that. And then you have... Uh, these three groups that this particular paper that I think we both read, the drunkards, the babushki, and the children. So the drunkards are often like, it, it's I don't know, the way that this paper described it is like they were like frowned upon, but like also expected, expected it in a way. And evidence of this is like oftentimes the drunkards uh, would form a Venn diagram with the domino players. So despite being frowned upon, they were kind of like an integral part. And when the city administration uh, started making plans for like revitalizing divorce or whatever, oftentimes in the post-war, this was in the post-war period, oftentimes they would like include tables where people could play things like dominoes or chess um and yeah, you haven't introduced the domino the domino playing is important it's i feel like it's not really i feel like it's just the same people the drunks and the domino people players. are drinking and playing men because yeah, you can drinking. put your drinks down on the table there's but, men but yeah, drinking before these like right men drinking before these like uh official tables may have existed in the post-war period like they would have their own like I guess, kind of card table that they could set up anywhere. And the general assumption, the the way that it was done was that the domino players would set up their table in like the working part of the divorce, which is like back by the sheds, like maybe but even by the trash heap to stay out of the way of like the children who might now at this point in, in like our timeline be playing more in the open area, like some sort of game. And it was kind of unseemly of them to like set up their drunk table, like right by where the children and are. The, and they're also swearing. Like There's a lot about like hearing curse words. That was part of it. They shouldn't be within an audible distance or something so that the kids don't hear it. And uh, there was one anecdote of um, somebody who was interviewed who has a memory of like the domino players setting up their little table like right next to the children and being like really shoo-shooed away from the 
that area by the by the women and the divorce. The but women you, because you mean they broke their table. Did they break their yeah. table? Oh they God. broke the table and the Dvornik like encouraged it. He was like, well, you're playing near the children. Um, but because the old divorce had like all these fixtures, the, there was this like natural separation from the front of the divorce versus the back, even if um, the separation of front and back wasn't like physically built by buildings. Um, and then you have your babushki who used the divorce in a quote useful way, like things like watching after the kids or minding the minding the laundry. But you know, a lot of the times they're probably just like sitting downstairs with each other gossiping, and they would be more situated towards the front of the divorce, so they kind of have a sense of who's coming and going. They're watching the kids; they can reprimand the kids, those sorts of things. And then you have the kids who are playing. Um, and, and then on the other, this other axis, the male and female, one interesting thing is that the housing administration, so like the supers and whatever, of what, uh, whatever other like managerial staff would exist for a given apartment block, um, in the 30s becomes more feminized. So like maybe prior to that, it was mostly men. Um, but starting in the 30s, it becomes mostly women and these babushki who are like the unofficial apartment block employees you do have this i don't know the way this paper described is you do have this interesting mix of like male drunkenness maybe male teens at the back of the divorce like a kind of unruly dirty space and then at the front of the divorce you have like kind of this regulated both officially unofficial female and child space because you start to get teen gangs essentially that did kind of um play with the border between like play and actual like quote-unquote gang activity Mm -hmm. um and and this is where like you know that they would they would build like structures out of the wood or they would use the shed as like their headquarters and you might have to like pay as a kid to be admitted into this area by like some 16 year old Hmm. like the clubhouse Sounds about like right. A cl- like a clubhouse, but like maybe like some a little fucked up things happened there. Well, don't you think that happened in a lot of clubhouses? At least our parents' <laughs> generation it definitely did. Yeah, that's People true. People get like their teeth knocked out. <laughs> Accidentally. But well, there was definitely, there was some guy that like talked about raping women in the sheds. Oh, shit. Well, that's yeah. not, that's not clubhouse like behavior. Teen, teen girls, yeah. <laughs> Those are against club rules. It's not very Soviet of them. But it's all that dominoes getting them, like, randy. Yeah. But you're saying the playground thing started in, like, the 60s? Yeah, I think the... I mean, it, it probably started a little bit earlier because, like, you know, starting in the 30s, they're like, we need to make the divorce a place for children, basically, is when that, like, concerted effort, effort started. But I would assume the point at which, like, Stalin was building buildings big enough to fit playgrounds in the divorce and then also once like the sheds are being destroyed so that there is space for those things it's probably like when that turn um like became really kind of official where like the divorce is for the children Mm. children and older people like parks yeah versus like teens and like chopping wood and those sorts of things do you have stuff for like what is happening now or do you want to I mean, I don't have, like, a lot of numbers or anything. I think that basically, like, um, in this one particular paper that laid out kind of, like, the design from pre-Soviet, like, Stalinist, and then, like, late Soviet. The late Soviet, like, 70s and 80s, 
or let me let me back up a little bit even when you start getting like Khrushchevki Khrushchevki mm -hmm. even though the buildings are like tall and like not particularly aesthetically pleasing on their face like they are kind of arranged in a way where the divorce is still small enough that it's at a quote human scale but then when you start reaching the 70s and 80s new buildings that are built are like I think this is honestly like referring to those like quote suburbs where like the buildings are massive um they're start being designed more for cars and less for people and the divorce becomes kind of this like open expanse vista that is no longer something that like feels uh kind of close-knit and human scale it feels um more for like cars I guess essentially what it is, is well what that is well no but it has like not no but just to add to that it has like a it's it's a different type of space, definitely. I would say it's more explicitly multi-use and it's massive, like scale. These buildings, like yeah, I maybe refer to them as suburbs, but they a lot of them are towards the sort of end of the subway lines in any direction, and are often in places that are not considered suburbs, but they are considered spalnirayoni, sleepy, um, and. <laughs> And building. what it so it could you could still be very much in the city you're not in the center and you know that yeah but i i feel like those uh, i feel like maybe i conflated by accident because she's talking more about stuff built in the 70s and 80s i mean the, no those are still they're just being built further out now and they're they're just newer like okay. th that are new but the, yeah what you're talking about is that i mean if we take like on vasilievsky island some of those buildings that were built definitely during the late Soviet era. Um, some of the things that you get in those, so they're like, how many floors? More like 20, maybe. And you get, they're like these big, long blocks on a huge four-lane street. It'll sometimes get that can happen. And yeah, so in that sense, it's like for cars because the streets are bigger. But then you go in and in the Dvor, it's like the buildings themselves are so much farther apart that you have a uh, usually a football field, like a soccer field. Mm. You can have a school, like a uh, kindergarten and elementary school. I I find those like manufactured, all encompassing things really terrible. I mean, yeah, it's like I it's then they're they're also when they started being being built further out on the metros, they were called like micro neighborhoods and. Uh. They are like, name, yeah. it's like anytime that you really like, you know, you force a neighborhood, you know, you're like, oh, this is, this is, we're going to like artificially build this neighborhood. That feels like it isn't, yeah, it isn't conducive to people like actually using it <laughs> that way. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's funny to think about that in the, what was it Dostoevsky that said that Petersburg was artificial? Um, a lot of people say that, but maybe he said okay, it. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, like, well, you just wait, buddy. Yeah, you, you haven't wait. seen artificial yet. I mean, the thing is that, like, at the same time, you could say that, well, the kids who played in the divorce, or like kids that you play with in your neighborhood in the states. I don't know the kids I played with. That's also artificial in a way, in the sense that, like, you just happen to live in the same place. You just happen to live in the same building. And here you just happen to live in the same building and, like, you know, go to the same school. Like, why is that more artificial? It's it's artificial because it comes with a whole set of things, which is, like, they... It's, it's artificial because everything was planned at once as part of an entire unit. 
versus like a school might be naturally built and then like an apartment building is built and then like some people move into it but you're attracting like a very specific type of people that want to live in like one of these micro neighborhoods yeah i mean yeah the i don't know i just i wonder if it will ever feel more natural because it like over time i hope not they're definitely marketed to be like that sort of all-in-one place which is you know, like every everything you'd ever need has. There's a grocery like you store. You never have to leave. It's like Jesus. I mean, maybe I wanted to leave. <laughs> yeah, and that's more the new new buildings that are being done right, now, right. not the ones from the '80s, because those ones are even more like you know, kind of modernized, whatever that means. Um, and yeah, they'll like have a grocery store and a school and a maybe like a gym in the lower part of the building. There'll be commercial stuff in the first floor <sighs> of the apartments commercial stuff yeah, and then with gyms and then like that central area which has a playground and field and stuff so you get this like micro neighborhood <laughs> yeah it's like an atomized neighborhood versus an an individual atomization if that's possible yeah and and i don't know like how kids are you know in that's in such a big space also with such big buildings it doesn't really lend itself to the like watching out for kids thing because right like are kids allowed to go out in that area by themselves like are six-year-olds allowed to go down there probably not right i mean less likely it feels like because also there's almost no chance you know everyone in your building in such a big building yeah and yeah now of course like the way people are i don't know socialized in a more atomized less collective way like it's not like i know the people in my building or anything but if a kid was playing in my drawer, lots of, there's only so many people in the building and we would all see the kid and it wouldn't be like the same as if you're, if you let your kid out into a door like that with huge buildings, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the um, Baltic Pearl example gives a like a good way of thinking about this. The, the Baltic Pearl was, is, it exists now, but um, in the like mid 2000s was a planning project by a Chinese company to build essentially one of these um, micro neighborhoods in St. Petersburg, but like not centrally located. One of the reasons why like it took a little while to get approved by the like city housing commission or whatever it is that approves those things was because the original plans for it, the buildings were supposedly too far apart according to like petersburg-based architects and they were worried they their argument was basically like the divorce is like a central part of russian life and you cannot destroy the divorce mm-hmm. and one of the one architect in particular was like oh well you've made the divorce so large and then people are going to get off the train and like just use the divorce as a way to like get to their house so it won't be it won't be a place where people sit and interact it'll be like a uh, last leg of the trip like transportation through way sort of thing so there was like a lot of back and forth around that but the, the chief architect of the city uh was like discussing this project with the author of this paper and he says oh great let's definitely in a chinese restaurant make sure there's a bowl of borscht so like there's Definitely, like, a uh, kind of tension there between, like, oh, is the divorce actually, like, a quote-unquote good thing at this point? Or is it just something that we have nostalgia for and we're imposing it on other forms of architecture? Mm. Which, well, like, I understand that, especially because, like, the majority of the divorce that I've seen are just full of cars and there aren't kids playing in them. Except for maybe the ones that are super designated in that they have a playground. 
Yeah, I mean, the playground ones, I, I see a lot of playground ones, and I see people in them. And, you know, even in, like, slightly outside the center where you have more Hushovki-type buildings that could be, like, nine stories tall, they're not, like, monsters, there'll be a inner courtyard that's not quite as... It doesn't feel as closed off in that it doesn't have that really four-walled thing. Because it's like, it's like a bunch of buildings arranged in a cluster. They're arranged right? and they're arranged in like a square way and they create a rectangle between them. But yeah, there's more openings and they're much bigger space. I see kids and I see old people sitting there. Just like th- those are the main people I see in parks. And it really does feel like sort of like a park right next to your apartment. And this isn't a place where they're, the neighborhood I'm thinking of specifically right now is literally these buildings are across the street from a massive park. So it's not like these people are like, oh, I don't have a park near me, but they prefer to be right next to their apartment building. It's easier. Yeah, it feels safe. Another one other small thing about the way that like divorce use has changed is that like, I think, I feel like like of all places around the world, like, um, but maybe exaggerated in the like switch from public to private from like the fall of the Soviet Union, like previously like publicly accessible divorce so like at one point it would have previously been divorce were like, publicly accessible yeah yeah to like waltz into any divorce even if you didn't live there like um are like rapidly being both privatized officially i think it i read something that around 2005 or 2006 uh the Leningrad or Leningrad Petersburg City Council made it possible for those areas to actually be privately owned versus before them not being that and then you also have like the physical closure of them so like the gate to them being locked so that it's not actually possible to go into that so there's that component of like yeah further atomization of once previously like public space and then also the what's the word for the clusters is there is there a word for that Mm, no but I mean, unless you make up a word like clusterization, but it's the commercialization, I would say. Yeah, the commercialization of like residential, of what was previously residential spaces. So going, taking like a divorce, an apartment block that has a divorce and like converting maybe most or maybe even all, I don't don't know, into retail spaces. So then you have a divorce that's now open to the public, but it's, uh, like a commercial based accessibility like i don't think it would be super fun to go into those places and just like sit without interacting with the businesses well, in some way. i mean you you definitely could in the sense that you could treat as sort of like a park but people do come into those spaces to you know like get a beer somewhere get a coffee Purchase. or like go up in some of them are like as developed as like a small mall of local shops and that like yeah, it's, it's, you're right, it's a commercial-based interaction. I mean, you can also just come and, like, sit and look at something, but I feel like that's the ringing courage to buy something. Yeah, it's certainly not anti-capitalist. No. Um, yeah, actually, good point. Yeah, the whole closed-door thing, it's, it, I'm not sure if this is true, but it kind of, I feel like it's possibly been getting more closed even within my time here. Like, Gates having locks on them that didn't have locks and by locks it's yeah. just like a, tut- a code pad you know uh, I mean it's understandable like uh, I get that because I obviously like lock all my doors but it's still sad it's yeah it's kind of shitty because um like it's it's obviously understandable but the the since so much of the city is dvor 
it feels like those should be public spaces or it would be nice if they yeah. were public spaces. And now they're kind of, they're only, now it's more explicit that most of them, if they're locked, it means that they're only a space for the people who live there or the people who are friends with the people who live there. And which is sort of how it was always, but it's like more explicit now. And sometimes I'm just like trying to, the other day I walked, I walked into a, a gateway that was open because mainly because it was open. And this is like a fun thing that is such, such a Petersburg experience um, is if you walk into a gate, into a door, cause it happens to be open and you don't know if it's going to lead to the next street and you just try. And that's really fun. And I just like, I walk, like I was trying to get, you know what I mean? Right. I was trying to get like through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's obvious, but it, it didn't, it wasn't evident a through door like I couldn't see the other gate so I was like okay I'll just try and it happened to be one of those doors that's connected to a lot of other smaller doors so I was like really wandering it was like really a labyrinth and I was like turning like I would come to a dead end and turn back and go to another way and eventually I popped out on the perpendicular street somehow (laughs) and I was like oh and I had it like actually moved very much but I (laughs) I did come out another place and like that it just sucks that that's like I would like to be able to do that more and I I can't because unless someone's like opening the door at that moment and I can get in like I a lot of places are closed right so I mean because that's a cool way to be able to walk through the city you can you can walk through a lot of the city like that yeah I know god that really is a shame I feel like they could have had slightly more forethought there and been like this is designated public space Especially because so much of Petersburg, I feel like, is street and then, like, big building. And it's just, like, it would be nice to be able to, like, I don't know. How is it more big building than any other city? Off the yeah. street. Um, oh, they're not set back as much? Uh, yeah, maybe they're not set back as much. Or there's a lot of streets that have fewer trees. Like, you, there's oftentimes you're walking on the street and you're, like, more exposed. Okay, then you feel like in... Brooklyn or something? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it also has to do with like street parking, although there is street parking in Petersburg. I don't know. There is just something where you do feel more exposed in some way. Huh. Um, I, they are definitely, I mean, think about like the brownstones in Brooklyn are pretty f- set far back from the street. Like you have the sidewalk, but then you have the whole buffer zone of somebody's like personal front courtyard area. Yeah. And but the you don't have that in Petersburg yeah. and the stoop and everything. There's definitely, there's a built in liminal space for people even walking on the street right. versus in Petersburg. You don't have that. And especially with the closer closure of divorce, you have that even less. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. 
I'm gonna try to make this little connection. I'm gonna try to keep us keep this quick, this part of the history. Tight and light. I would say, like, I just had this thought when you were talking about the micro neighborhoods and you know, this whole we were talking about these areas where there's like everything that you need in one place. It kind of brings us back to the original Dvor, actually. Fucked up, modernized, atomized way. And that's because the original Dvor, and by original I just mean the, the ancient form of the Dvor, the rural Dvor, the the Dvor that existed before the, the urban Dvor, that is the name for a manor, like a family's house with land. It's, as I said before, uh, the piece of land surrounding like a main building. And in the case of a Dvor in a village setting, you actually like the way that different Russian villages are defined. It's like increasingly confusing every time I learn more about it, but they're defined in different ways. Like if one has a church or the number of people, but I saw this division that divided different kinds of rural settlements by number of Dvors, basically, which is a nice way to think about it because you have like Derevnya, which is a word that's often translated as village, and then Silo, which is also translated as village, and Sloboda, which oh. I didn't know about before. What? Uh, right. This is the thing where, like, it, if one has a church, then it's this thing, but not always. Right. And and rather than worrying so much about the church, which is the Silo one, um, I like the concept of looking at the number of dwarves. Like, the Silo would have 20 to 30 dwarves, and the Dede Avenue could have three to five, so it's much smaller. And it turns out there's like more than those three types of villages, but we're not getting into the village classification now. Just that like what I want to sort of describe is this this Russian peasant house is called an izba. It could obviously vary in size because that would be where the entire population of the Dvor, who's the family members, would be living. And that could be many generations of one family. So it could be, you know, like 30 people. Or something. These dwarves, these like village, rural dwarves, um, are also divided. As you were talking about, the urban dwarves are divided into two parts: the back and the front. And like the back is where I would imagine is behind the house, and that's where like there's garbage and like manure. So yeah, so these sails and chicken coops, and they're actually called like they can be called different things, like the sheep dwar or the horse dwar or the like linen dwar, depending on what thing that you have the most of what's a linen for well let's if you like harvest linen the grain linen is a grain oh wait i thought is linen, i actually have no idea what linen is linen yeah is it cotton it might just be cotton no no it's obviously not just cotton then it would be cotton well i caught i thought maybe it was a type of weave no no the oh it's from flax that flax. makes a lot of sense doesn't it very on brand linen and flax go together yeah totally yeah yeah no yes i knew linen was a plant but i just didn't know what it was okay um and so and then the log the house where people live the izba is in the front door and you have a lot of stuff going on in the door a lot of i mean depending on the size of it you can have quite a number of like buildings like you can it can be sort of like a little village in and of itself like a a place to cook baking washing you know the like granary maybe there's an ice house so it's like depending on size again yeah, wait, why does that feel less bad just because it's like old um well 
It's family based. It's mm-hmm. small. Outside. Well, outside, but those are also outside. But it's small, so like this is relatively right kind of small. Outside. So you have like basically like I like to think of it as like this territory is like an extended family's whatever manor or something, even though it's peasants. And then another family, if it's if it's you know like a village with, usually there's more than one dwar because like one is like very very small. Um, you know, you, you'd have neighboring ones. So in that sense, it's not as, like, atomized. Again, back to, like, the dvor as some kind of space that is your own. In its original sense, it really is, like, familiarly. 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 Bounded. And familiarly. Familiarly. Familiarly bounded. And, like, when it starts, you can imagine, like, um, you know, people have babies and there's just too many people and so at some point when when it needs to there's too many people in one dvor you could have um one of the like a son a man will go and set up a new dvor somewhere um Mm. and then also because you also might be wondering like what about all the incest or something and it's generally non (laughs) you might be wondering what about all this it's generally non-incestuous because a lot of Russian villages have a tradition of marrying outside of the village. So women leave their dvor to go get married and go into a new one. Mm. And that can be like a really traumatic or like shitty experience, I imagine. But it does keep the blood mixed. Usually in the olden days and even now you associate men with like adventures and, and whatever. But like being raised in one little tiny village your whole life and then being shipped off to another village is definitely an adventure. Yeah. And like maybe really horrible it's like like what if you marry into a family who runs their divorce like really horribly and you're like ah you have to like step over all the cow pies everywhere (laughs) sucks yeah traumatic because that's the biggest problem that you're having (laughs) (laughs) definitely Okay, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about literature because we were talking about Petersburg Dwarves. And Petersburg literature, because it's set in Petersburg, is often kind of set in Dwarves, like a lot of crime and punishment. But I'm not going to read from crime and punishment this time. Sorry. It's because you're not basic. Because I'm not basic. And I read that like a million years ago, and I don't even care about it. So I didn't think it was a very good book. (laughs) That is the first Russian literature the book I read. It was really underdeveloped. Anyway, actually, it is an important book, so you can suck a bag of dicks. Okay? Ready? <laughs> Ready? Uh-huh. 
One dick. <laughs> they airplayed it into my mouth. Yeah. Instead of doing whatever else I could possibly do when I talk about literature of the dwarves, I'm going to read you a poem if you'll so have me. Will you? I guess. What a friggin' diddler. <laughs> so I was looking for poems about dwarves and I found one by another arguably basic bitch but i still love him joseph brodsky um he's not basic but it's like basic to like him or whatever sorry and this is a poem written in 1960 and it's called once in a courtyard on machavaya and i chose it because i also lived on machavaya thank Yay. you very much and actually right very close to brodsky's house like diagonally across the street from his house where his one and a half rooms is yes it's true it's a beautiful building i was neighbors with brodsky <laughs> i was neighbors with the like old lady who won't leave so they can make a museum well that's her right well it's true though i'll just read the poem in english because i translated it in my way that i like to do which is called <laughs> literal translation which i think is good fast <laughs> literal translation <laughs> I think it's nice how it turns out. Um, it doesn't keep the rhyme scheme. That's the main thing. But I do think about it. I'm not just like Google translating. Though it's probably frighteningly close. <laughs> you won't even be able to tell it's not in Russian is what she's saying. Okay. So, and because if I read it, like I can't read a Brodsky poem really because Brodsky read his poems. He read them at readings quite specifically. Do you know what I mean? Okay. No. I'll try. Ready? Okay. Однажды в дворе на маховой стоял я с чав растерзанный букетик, сужались этажи над головой, и дом, как увеличенный штакетник, меня брал в окружение заодно... Like that. Get it? I'll just read my translation <laughs> and okay. spare y'all that, especially the Russians who are like cringing. Once in a dvor on Makhovaya, I stood clenching a tattered bouquet. The floors narrowed above my head, and the house, like an enlarged picket fence, took me into the surroundings, together with the required box of fortifications and the table that is freshly painted, longing for the rumble of dominoes. Yay. It was August. <laughs> <laughs> that's my poetic, I mean, that's my, uh, what's it called? Critical commentary. Yay! <laughs> oh, now I get shot. <laughs> You're whooping at a broadscape. <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> it was August, the month of swallows and roofs. Inspiring visions in hallways. A reed peeked out from a window vent. I'm just going to side note this. Window vent, Russian word, fortichka. Don't know how to translate it any better. It's the small window that's like cut into a larger window. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you have a better translation, let us know. Yeah. A reed peeked out from a window vent. Behind the glass, tomatoes blushed. And the evening, having not glanced below, shone translucent fibers and glorified the rusted eaves. Dusk descended and the windows swung open. It was evening, and the entrance already was swollen like a darkening flower bed. Here I beheld. On the third floor loomed a plastic doll. She was, alas, 
dismembered, lifeless and cry antibiotic. Limbs were hanging out of the window. (laughs) (laughs) It says that. It's like, it's part of it, okay? Like in parentheses, cry antibiotic. Like you should cry. I'm telling you to cry. Why antibiotic? Because her limbs were hanging out of the window. Okay. And its belly greeted the twilight. A baby, furious like a lion, yanked her legs from her loins. But glue, as they say, not wanting, Daddy glued her and hung her out to dry. To get the poor thing in order. And to spank the little bully. And he didn't expect to stun a loitering onlooker in the twilight. He's humble. Swum across oceans in one, and was that heard? Place. Cry, Amundsen and Papanin. <laughs> Those are two Arctic explorers. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> Cry, Amundsen and Papanin opened two poles of depravity together. What is the cost of arrival on the ice? And the most valiant basket rockets with airships in the form of an uncapped bottle of casein. Do you know what casein is? It's not pronounced that way, but yeah, it's a casein thing, isn't it? What? I think it's ca- like ca- casein. Okay. I'd say casein. But I'm not sure. You know what it is? It's like whey, isn't it? Something like whey? It's like another, yeah, part of milk. That's the end of the episode. As always, be sure to become a patron of ours on patreon.com slash in Russia. You get some stickers or a magnet or some splendid socks. And our gratitude. And our gratitude forever. Um, shout out to our latest patron, DJ. Yay, thank, thank you. I don't know if that's a title or a name. I think it's a name. Um, yes, thank you, kind sir. And yeah, follow us on Twitter and Telegram at Cheese in Russia. Give us a call and let us know if there is an English word for a tiny window that's inside of a bigger window at plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six. Or you can call us on Skype for the Russian listeners at Cheese in Russia. Subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter at cheeseinrussia.com. And we will see you next week. We will see you next week, yes. We will see you next week. Enjoy your dwarves while you can. Real light, stop, green light, go. Yellow light, fall down, green light, oh no. Real light, green light, yellow light, green light, green light, green Casein. Casein. Casein.